patterns, permutations, time, rhythm, coordination, meter, concentration, tempo, modulation, groove. Welcome to the Drum Mantra Podcast. This is Rich Stitzel, and it's time to go deeper with your practice. So what I what I did is, you know, at some point I started realizing like I can put in these, you know, these sextuplets and make it sound essentially kind of faster than it is. Polyrhythms, polymeters, what are they? How are they related? How are they different? Let's take a look. Before I set up anything in a session, I try to find out, hey, what's the first song we're going to do? Can we go listen to it? Is there some kind of demo? And then, because I hate I hate just like throwing up like any old cymbal snare drum and whatever, um, building a kit and then going to listen to the song and go like, oh, well, I wouldn't use half the stuff that's up here. The way to be successful at something is you have to be so passionate about it that time disappears. You do not care. You are just in it. You can't wait to wake up because you get to start again. When you go to sleep, you hope that you dream about it. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about passion. I, I really feel like that's a really under-emphasized part of being a drummer, is getting sound. What happens is you're moving the accents everywhere possible in a measure of 4-4, a measure of 3-4, and a measure of 5-4. You break it down, you know, sometimes you'll do freeze in each hand or whatever, but it's a, it's a combination of just those two things and throwing in a single kick drum or a double kick drum, and now you have these odd phrases you Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Drum Mantra Podcast. I believe this is episode 36. I am in the car. It's just a... It's my favorite season right now. It's um, it's September. It's my birthday month. I think, I think everyone's favorite season somehow falls around their birthday. I think, you know, if someone was born in the summer, like in the... September, like in August or something, they really love the summer. And people who are born in the fall love the fall. I don't know if it's because they have their birthday then, or I don't know. I I just love the fall. Um, it's always it always gets me excited to create. I always think that I'm going to be the most creative in the fall. And in the last, gosh, I don't know, decade or so, it's sort of been year-round creative work, but I used to, I used to, um, you know, the gigs in the summer are always so busy, and then the fall is kind of like this, it's cooler out, it's okay to be inside, because the weather's kind of cooler, and, and it's rainy and stuff, but I don't know, in the last, last few years, it's been, uh, it's just been creative work around the clock every day all year long so I still love the fall though I love the weather and the leaves change I love the colors and all that and I you know when I lived in Texas I didn't get the, the change of leaves because it's either hot or it's cold for a second in Texas it wasn't really like a big drawn out beautiful fall kind of situation there so I'm happy to get to experience the fall because I love those colors and one thing I'm definitely excited about this year is hopefully driving up to the upper peninsula of Michigan which is really crazy I did not realize it's so close it's only six hours from Chicago to drive all the way straight up through Wisconsin this is all new geography for me even though I've lived in Chicago for 17 years I've kind of 
denied going anywhere north of here. Um, but uh, I did. I had a gig up there a couple, um, maybe a month ago. So I was up there, and the Lake Superior is straight up. And then if you go up straight up through Wisconsin, all of a sudden you're in Michigan. So Michigan is to the east of us on the east side of Lake Michigan is the state of Michigan. And then also Michigan is directly north of us. So Michigan kind of wraps around Lake Michigan. It's really crazy. In fact, uh, the gig I played was in a place called Iron River, Michigan, which is up north of Wisconsin somewhere. I can't really remember geographically where, but crazy thing is we drove from there we drove west and north a little bit for about 45 minutes and all of a sudden we're in the eastern standard time zone so we drove west and north and somehow the time zone changed to eastern standard even though we were further west Uh, it was very strange and like if the sun sets in in the in the peak of summer in chicago the sun sets at about 8 30 and out there, and now and now the sun's already setting at, gosh, it's 7, 15. But uh, out there, the sun was setting at 8.45 or 9. And then all of a sudden, we went up to this little area where we were in Eastern Standard Time. So the sun was setting at 9.45 or 10 o'clock at night. It was the weirdest thing. I know people who live, like, up in Alaska and, I guess, up in the Upper Peninsula experience these uh, really long days in, and I guess that also means they probably experience really long winter, uh, dark, dark days during, during the season as well, probably winter. Um, but anyway, I heard that the fall colors up there are just beautiful. It's all forest up there. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and excited to hopefully get up there to see the trees change in a couple of weeks maybe six weeks or something. Um, I don't really have anything specific to talk about today. I just thought I'm on a drive. I'm on my way to my the first gig of the day at the Chicago Cultural Center. I'm playing a, uh, and actually I'm playing a cajon on a children's show. Uh, I'm playing with this artist who called me to play today and tomorrow with her. Her name is Jeannie B., and we'll be doing her, she has like 10 records out of children's music, and I'll just be playing Cajon with her, but I'm at the Chicago Cultural Center this morning, and then I have a gig tonight, and then tomorrow morning we're at the, uh, um, what's it called, the Garfield Park Conservatory for another kids show, and then I have another gig tomorrow night, long one, five hours each night. And then early, early Sunday morning, I uh, I go to the airport and fly to Sarasota, Florida. I'm the uh, I'm playing a an installation by an artist named Ezra Mosh, who has installed like the pictures I've seen. It looks like probably a thousand fluorescent lights that are stacked. So they're like there's five sections to these light poles, and they're all over this one room this huge room and they are all triggering they're all triggered on and off by a drum set and so it used to be three drums I guess it was a kick snare and hi-hat the last time he did the installation 
but this time he modified it to be five drums, so it's kick, snare, hat, floor tom, crash cymbal, I believe. And each thing is, is connected to a different height of light. So like the low lights are the bass drum and etc. as the sound pitch goes up, so do the lights. And that's been running for a month now. Um, and I am the last person to perform on it before it leaves. So they've had local drummers for the month going in and playing the, uh, playing the drums because that's the only way you can experience the the exhibit is if someone's playing the drums. So they have, I think they had 60 local drummers come in and and play during the days. And then they had uh, four headlining drummers who came in and uh, they were featured drummers. Antonio Sanchez, Brian Blade, uh, the Pocket Queen, and the third one, the fourth one is Greg. I can't remember his name for some reason. Greg's... Uh, Anyway, and then, um, so those were the four kind of um, headliners, and then my position as final headliner is actually for the, is, a, is the private event for the, the funders of the project and the patrons, the members of the museum, and then any drummer that was local that played it during the month, they're invited to this big kind of celebration of the piece and then I will be the one that performs on it for the last time and then it and then it gets moved to another museum or I don't know what what they're doing but anyway so that is what I'll be doing in Florida on Sunday 20 minute performance and then a little hang and then uh, then I'll fly back on Monday so that's exciting I've been I've been practicing a lot in preparation for that um and at first I thought I was going to practice, at first I thought I was going to kind of compose a piece for the installation, and then I thought I'm just going to improvise. So what I've been practicing is nothing specific. I've been practicing more uh, just, I've just been practicing, you know, for just the purpose of my own strength and agility and coordination so my practice regimen I've been practicing maybe oh two to three sometimes maybe four hours a day um, and the regimen is in 20 minute blocks 20 minute chunks of time and I literally turn my uh, stopwatch on on my phone and and it's 20 minutes, and as soon as 20 minutes is up, no matter where I'm at with the exercise that I'm working on, I stop. And I kind of figure that it's the same concept that I used to use, we used to use in this band that I used to travel in uh, called Brad Thompson and his undulating band. There were, at this time when we came up with this concept, there were four people in the band. I think there were four of us, one, two. Four or five. There were four people in the band, and then one guy that was like our merch sound man, just dude helper guy, named Peter Link. And our job, uh, the, the, when we would drive, because we were driving our own van around the country, and anytime we would have a long extended drive that was more than like six hours, 
and some of our drives were 20 hours. It was crazy. But uh, <clears throat> the rule was no matter how you felt, you only drove for two hours. And the rotation was counterclockwise. So you drive for two hours, and then you go directly behind you to the back seat of this van, and, uh, and you can do whatever you wanted. If you were still awake, you could... This was pre-cell phone, pre-computer. This was like... You didn't have any of that. So you might have brought... You might bring a book, or you might just sit and think, <laughs> which is probably what happened the most. But um, So you would, you would go back to the back seat, to the captain's chair behind the driver's chair, and then two hours later, everyone would rotate, and then you would go to the back bench. Um, and that's where you could actually lay down, and by then you're probably ready to crash if you hadn't crashed already. So, And then every two hours you rotate. So then after that, you go back up to the passenger side back captain's chair. And then after that, you rotate into the... Um, the co-pilot position in front, which you were the navigation guy, so you literally had a map, and it was your job to navigate for the driver, and two hours later, you became the driver, and that was sort of the, that was how it went, and we learned, we kind of figured this, this system out, because we were, you know, one of us would just be so hyped up to drive, and we'd drive for six or eight hours and it was great because one person was driving but then when they got tired the next person that got in they might also be tired because they've been up, everyone's just been up talking and, and the whole group you know we would just all be up together talking and then we realized that if we're going to survive and stay healthy we need to have shifts so it did not matter if you were wide awake after two hours of driving, you had to move back to the next seat. And that system, I had forgotten about that. I mean, I've always known about that system, but I've never applied that system to practice. And so I applied, I started applying that system to practice about, I don't know, two weeks ago, maybe even less. And, and really, I, I, I just started doing it without even thinking about our driving system. I just started doing it to give myself parameters for practice, but then it started to really develop into that organization. So what I would do, what I do now is I, as I do a, uh, I'll set the metronome on. Recently, it's been 91, and I will play sextuplets between all limbs, all linear, for 20 minutes straight without stopping. And then I'll rest for just a couple minutes, like three or four minutes. And then I will pull up a, a groove. <clears throat> and when I say pull up, what I do is, the way I practice, and, and this has also kind of evolved in my life recently. In fact, this, this evolved after I studied with Pete Magadini um, a couple years ago. What I do is I, instead of playing actual drums... Because I just, to be honest, the the volume of the drums, I, I I play so many gigs, and I have, you know, it's just it's just loud all the time. So when I practice, I like to practice on pads, and that also developed out of um, the idea of you know when you practice on a drum set, 
you start to get used to the sound of that drum set. And in my in my professional career, I'm playing on all kinds of different drums. I play, you know, I'm, I'm on a different drum set, probably four different drum sets every single week. Um, so, and they all sound different. They're all tuned different. They're different sizes. Um, and I, that's just been the reality for me. So I'm totally cool with practicing just physical motions on pads. And then when I get to whatever drum set I'm at, the sound of those particular drums will inform and inspire my playing. So they'll, you know, the grooves will sound a certain way because the drums sound a certain way. And whatever the drums sound like will inspire my creativity as far as how much uh, fill stuff I will play or how much interacting I do with, with the other musicians. And, and I, let the, uh, I, let, I like to be in the moment with the sound of the drums to inspire me musically. And I just want to be prepared technically to, uh, to do anything that needs to happen once I get behind the kit. So that's sort of been my MO for, I don't know, for a while now. And so what I do with the pads, and, and this, is, this was because of Pete Magadini. I'm going to kind of digress a little bit back to how I studied the material with him. And I, Now, when I say study with Pete Magadini, I took two lessons with Pete Magadini. And then I had to quit. And I told him, I love you, but I cannot study with you anymore because it's consuming my life. I was literally practicing 30 hours a week just to get, just to perfect what he was assigning to me. And that was at the same time I was, you know, writing my, finishing my first book. And it was like, this is too much. I need to be practicing my own, my own material. But anyway, so his stuff is very complex. If you haven't checked out Pete Magadini's, uh, well, the book, when I used to have it, was called Polysymbol Time. I think now it's called Polyrhythms for Musicians or something, or Polyrhythms for Drummers. And it's, uh, he's the polyrhythm guy. So you'll be playing, um, let's see, for instance, you'll be playing like kick, snare, or kick, hat, kick, hat, kick, hat. And then you're playing chord note triplets on the ride cymbal. So kick, hat, kick cat ding 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 like that and then that ding 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 those six notes become a new pulse and within those and within that pulse you're doing new subdivisions so you're going ding 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 you're doing triplets 16th notes and eighth notes in that three over four three over two rhythm so um, it was complex and some of the patterns were were, you know some of them made sense some of them fell correctly but because they're polyrhythms some of them don't have um, a specific groove right off the bat until you really get the, uh, the intricacies of the timing down so what I would do is I would program all of the exercises into Ableton and then I would play along with the programmed exercise on the pads and so I was and, and so the, what I realized is when I'm doing that I'm lining my limbs up 
to play the pads at the exact same time that I'm hearing what's going on in the programmed groove. The programmed groove is perfect, so there's never any wavering of, of tempo. So my body was able to know what the truth was at all moments. Because sometimes when you're practicing really complex things, it's easy for your brain to convince you that you did it right instead of, uh, and, then, and, then, and then while you're convincing yourself that it's, it's right, you might be falling into a habit. Because when you're working on something brand new that's complex, your body has to learn a whole new motion. And when you're talking about polyrhythms, it's usually not a, you know, your body's not going in a natural movement motion. So it's easy to kind of stretch things or, or speed things up to, to make them seem like they're working out. And I'm talking about a very minute, you know, small micro subdivision kind of, kind of level, but it's still, the time still wavers. So being able to play along to the exercise in its perfection was a great way to train my limbs to uh, do just that. And so playing the pads, and I just lined up the ride cymbal with what I was hearing, and the one I had, so I had, I have four pads, or however many pads I would need, two bass drum, two foot pads, and you know at least three pads up top. And that's how I would practice, and I would turn one of those exercises on and, and, and play along to it for a very long time. like. I would play one measure for 25 minutes and then go to the next measure and do that. And that's how I developed the muscle memory for his exercises. So that carried into my other drum mantra stuff, which is polymetric based, which means instead of squeezing all the interesting intricate rhythmic information into one measure, which is kind of how polyrhythms work, polymeters spans the rhythms out over multiple bars so my my patterns could last anywhere from three measures to 15 measures without any repetition because you're having cycles of rhythmic groupings that have the same subdivision so um, that's how I'm practicing so after I do the the 20 minutes of sextuplets I would pull up one of these grooves that I would create and go with that and play that for 20 minutes and then stop and then I would find something that is not mine something that is interesting to me but uh, that I did not create for instance um, the crazy the crazy fill that Keith Carlock goes into when he's playing all those when he goes into his solos with Steely Dan or anybody John Mayer I've seen him do it with Sting and it's this crazy linear thing between the toms and the snare. It's just like beast mode, fast and weird sounding and intricate. And I just happened to come across someone doing a video of the transcription of what he's actually doing as a two-bar two long phrase. So just recently, um, I would shed that. And it's crazy. It's such, a, it's such an amazing workout. And, and to get into the mind of another player on that level is always really fun. And when you're playing that when you're playing that pattern and thinking, man, how did he come up with this? You really start to get a glimpse into the mind of some other genius, which Keith Carlock definitely is. 
Um, and I, and I, that would, that kind of stuff reminds me of, you know, being in college where you transcribe, we were doing lots of transcriptions. So, you know, get into the mind of Tony Williams, transcribe his stuff or get into the mind of Dennis Chambers or, uh, I remember tra- doing a Jack Dejanette transcription and just being like, wow, I, I start, you start to get a glimpse of how someone else thinks when, uh, when you work on something that they've created. And it's, it's ironic that I'm saying this right now because just yesterday I made a post on Instagram saying, um, you're not practiced, don't practice with the mentality of trying to add something to your playing, but practice with the mentality of uncovering a deeper truth about your own self. Now that's a, that's kind of a philosophical concept and I also, you know, I read it a couple times after I posted it because I was trying to figure out if it could be read and taken any other way than what I was meaning and there's a little vagueness to it so it potentially could mean don't copy someone else's playing, you know, find your own true voice and that's not quite what I, what I was meaning. I think that a great way, especially there's a special, there's a certain period in your playing where you are definitely um, needing to to get a solid foundation in the history of the instrument and the history of the players on the instrument. And I think it's very important to understand the lineage of players from the you know the early 1900s until today, and kind of understand the development. And the key, you know, the key players, and of course everyone has their own special playing abilities, but there are definitely some, um, some pioneers on the instrument throughout the history of the drum set that are important to know where they're, what they're doing and where they're coming from. So uh, transcribing is, is very important. Now the, 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 there's a fine line because a lot of times you'll hear a player... Um, who sounds like they are emulating someone else. And one of the biggest things of that in recent years was, you know, in the last you know, 20 years ago, was um, everyone wanted to sound like Dave Weckl. And it was such a, it was such a precise way of drumming that he did some educational videos and kind of laid out the con he's he's a brilliant drummer obviously but he laid out the concepts that he created for how he developed his playing style which is remarkable because it it is so it was such a cutting edge style of drumming it was sort of like taking Steve Gadd and and kind of making everything very Precise, where Steve is kind of led by his soul a little more, and Weckl's led by technical proficiency a little more. Um, both obviously great players. I mean, Steve Gadd is one of the best ever. But um, when Weckl presented his system of practice, everyone was on it, and so you had Weckl clones all over the place. And of course, still people want to be Vinny clones. And 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 modern players like Benny Greb. I mean, people want to be Benny Greb clones or Keith Carlock clones, or you know, if you're really adventurous, you might might want to be a 
or a Honig clone or you know someone someone in that stature of creativity but the point is and the, and the point I was and I, the really the point I'm trying to make and the lesson I'm trying to learn from myself I mean when I post these things I'm, I'm really talking to myself it's like hey rich remember to to always have the intention of finding the deeper level of your own voice don't don't um, don't cover that up by using something that someone else has created um, and mimicking that especially if you're doing it because you know it will serve a purpose and, and in fact that really came in strong when I when I was starting to shed on that crazy Keith Carlock thing it's this it's just like run of 30 second note doubles with uh, bass drums and stuff involved inside of that stuff but um you know, you're playing that exercise, and you go, "Wow, I, I'm, I'm getting in. I feel like I'm, I'm understanding this this insight into someone else's playing." And then your imagination, mine especially, at least, will go, "Oh, I'm going to get this worked up so I can so I can pull it out on my next gig." And I have to stop myself. It's like, "Nope, that's not why you're playing this exercise." You are working on this exercise to get the facility in your body to then be able to express your own musical feelings and emotions when the time is correct, in a correct musical way, based on your own soul. So that's a very hard thing. It's like it's it's the 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 the, the easy way out, and I don't want to say it's the easy way out because it's still everything takes a lot of practice. But to take licks from somebody else and and start inserting them into your own playing, I don't know that that that's a certain level of player for sure who is able to regurgitate at a, at a high level. It's very impressive, but you got to have your own voice, and your own voice comes from understanding the technical. Um, concepts and the coordination issues that other people have have developed that you've been inspired by but then really ha- having the facility but not not um, not kind of skimping out and saying oh this is a great lick that'll fit right here that someone else created that I've been working on so I can throw it in it's very very challenging because it's a there's a very fine line between you know, art and science in a way, and science would be meticulously learning something that someone else did, so you can place it into the art that you are creating, so you got to be careful with that, but I am definitely not saying do not listen to other players and learn what other players are doing, because we all inspire each other, and if you can stay true to your own creative path, then working on things that other people have done that inspire you is completely cool just always remember that especially with creative music I mean when it's time to be creative you've got to be creative from your own space you don't otherwise it's not creativity it's it's just math you're just you're just placing a puzzle piece into the puzzle that you've already that you already know oh this lick is perfect this Vinny lick is going to work great here don't I mean, you can do that if you want. It's totally, it's it's everyone's 
prerogative to, to, to play however they want, but I'm just saying if you are wanting to reach the essence of your own creativity, when you are practicing complex things, or not complex things, but when you are trying to learn something that someone else has provided, which I think is important, you have to include the mental aspect of the practice of always reminding yourself that this is only an exercise for yourself and it's not necessarily something that you are going to just learn so you can place somewhere in a creative way. I hope that makes sense. Um, anyway, so, so, uh, so there's the next 20 minutes of my practice, you know, working on something of Keith's. And then, and this is something I definitely consider practice, is writing. So after I do three or four 20-minute blocks, all different things, and usually just a one to three measure, one, one to five measure long thing. And I'm saying three to five because the polymetric exercises are odd, odd phrase things because you're having fives and three note groupings in the, in the patterns. But after I do about four of those 20 minute things, then I get into writing mode and I sit down at Ableton and I might come up with a little chord progression that's interesting sounding or some just strange notes that go together and then I'll write you know I'll try to write a groove that that is odd or something that seems sounds cool to me or whatever and then and that and that could last that could last an hour writing definitely you go into the the black hole of the rabbit hole of composition it can time flies really quick but now, if I just do an hour of that, we're up to 80 minutes plus rest between each one. So that's probably at least 100 minutes. And then, uh, and then writing, that's 60 minutes. And so now that's 160 minutes. That's almost three hours right there. And then go back and do another 20-minute practice session of working on something that you just wrote. There's your three hours. And then if you can do that once a day, you're great. If you can do it twice a day, that's been my goal is to do that system twice a day. And I haven't done it fully. I haven't done six hours a day, but, well, you know what? Maybe I have. A couple of these days I definitely have. But the thing is, it feels very... Um, feels very focused. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, I will run one of the days from my Drum Mantra 3030 course, usually day 30. I did that last night. I ran day 30, which is the, the final day of the course. It's very challenging. It's about 37 minutes of straight playing, and um, so I'll do that. So these are all technical exercises that really just increase the facility of your coordination and your kind of time rhythmic concept and ability but um, yeah the the 20 minute blocks have been awesome and that's not to say that 20 minutes is the rule in fact I started off with 10 minute blocks uh, frankly because it was hard for me to play the linear triplets for 10 minutes in a row when I very first started it but I'm up to 20 and I'm you know the 20 minute blocks may become 30 minute blocks I don't know you do like, you know, 
three or four or five 30 minute blocks, then you're, you're really getting some work done. And I, to be honest right now, mentally 20 minutes is fine for me. It's plenty because when you're really focusing on something, 20 minutes is 20 minutes is a nice, a nice chunk of time. I do notice that I can start to sense when 20 minutes is coming. So like in the 19th minute, even though I'm not looking at the clock, I'm like, man, I've been doing this for a long time. I wonder how much longer. And then it won't be too much longer and the alarm will go off. And 20 minutes is long enough where I was doing this exercise yesterday. And I'm doing it and it takes a minute to get it happening. And then once it's happening, you just, you're just on repeat over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Non-stop repeat of a one measure long pattern or a three measure long pattern for 20 minutes and you're going everything's cool and you're in the 12th minute and then all of a sudden everything falls apart you don't have any idea where anything even is you can't even it's, it's so weird and so you have to get get it all back together keep and then keep going to the end and I think that if you did not have a rule for yourself with um, how long you were going to work on something it could be easy for it to fall apart. Like you get to that point where it falls apart and then move on to the next thing. And if you do that, you didn't get over the hump that you needed to get over. So I think it's important to give yourself structure in your practice because you need to push yourself because if things are falling apart, you need to stay on the horse until it's time for the buzzer. And so I think that's a very positive thing about having the, the clock running. Oh, man, I need to be at my gig. I'm running a little. I just said running, and I'm downtown, and I realized I was supposed to be in the venue two minutes ago, and I'm still 20 minutes away. Dang it. That's Chicago for you. Anyway, this is this practice regimen I've been doing, and I'm really excited about it, and I'm, and I'm loving it. And I, I think recently I, I created this uh, thing with... 20th notes this really cool exercise that is available on my website and it's actually free until Saturday night September 8th at midnight if you use the code groove 20 you can go and download this little lesson this little exercise pack that I put up which has an mp3 of these grooves that use the 20th note so you're in 4-4 but the subdivision is five notes per quarter note, so it's 20 notes per measure of 4-4. Four, four. And it's this little kind of kick and snare groove, very simple groove. It, well, it's it's not simple, it's just, there's not it's, not, it's not complex, but the 20th note definitely sounds very odd when you first start with it. And then the right hand goes through uh, five different permutations of a hi-hat uh, rhythm. Anyway, I've been working on that a lot too lately, and that's been a lot of fun. And if you want to check that out, it's uh, again, it's called Groove Studies in 20th Notes, and it's free to download until September 8th at midnight. Or it's you know, you can just get it anytime you want if you if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, Okay, well, there you have it. Little practice tips from me to you. I'm going to start concentrating. I'm in the heart of downtown Chicago in rush hour. It's raining. I'm running late. And uh, 
I think this was a good talk. So hope you have a great day. Happy practicing. Always feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook. And uh, I'm, I'm starting to hear from a lot of people, and I think it's great. I, I hope that our conversations are helping with your practice. And if you ever have a question that you want me to talk about on here or, if a, or create a lesson pack that works on something that you're interested in, please let me know. I'm totally down for it. So have a great one and talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Drum Mantra Podcast. Your time and attention is much appreciated. I would love it if you went to the iTunes store and left a rating. And please share this with anybody that you think would like to go deeper with their practice. Take care.